Well, good morning. Are you guys ready to go this morning? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> well, like Allison said, we are continuing our series called All In. And it's, we've been going through Romans chapter 8, verse by verse. And today we're looking at verses 31 to 34. But before we jump into them, I would like you to do a linguistic exercise of emphasis with me this morning. And you say, what in the world is that? Uh, well, you know, you, the, the emphasis you put on words makes a big difference on what comes out, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me give you an example. I could say, uh, you know, uh, I didn't say she stole the money. And if I say that sentence, that means, if I say, I didn't say she stole the money, that means something else. If I say, I didn't say she stole the money, Huh? I didn't say she stole the money. You see what I'm talking about? It has a different, gives it a different reflection, right? So this morning, you're going to have a chance to do that with me. That's a linguistic exercise on emphasis. I'm going to give you a four-word sentence and ask you to repeat it with me with emphasis on the first word, second word, third word, and fourth word so that you just get this in every way that we can possibly get it. The four-word sentence is this, God is for me. God is for me. Now, we'll put emphasis, we'll say it together on the first word, then the second, then the third, and fourth. It'll look like this. So, you see how the God is bold there? So, we'll read it, we're going to read it four times. Emphasis in the first word, second, third, and fourth. Are you ready? Good. Here we go. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. And God is for me. All right, that was pretty darn good, I'll tell you what. Now, if you were doing it not just for yourself, but you were doing it for someone else. So Sam, if I'm saying um, that it's not about me, well, how would I say it instead if I was saying it to somebody else? God is for you. He's exactly right. So now, like you're saying it to somebody else that needs to know this, and that person uh, for you, Dino, is in the back of the room. It's Karen. For you back there, Karen, it's someone up here. It's Jonathan. So we're going to say it now. God is for you. We're going to do that four times and with emphasis on each word. Are you ready? Like you want somebody to hear it. Here we go. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Good job, man alive. Here's what the scripture says in verse number 31, Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to condemn Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So this is such a good little piece of scripture. We're going to start back at the beginning of what Paul was saying here. He says, what then shall we say to these things? He starts out with. Well, what are these things? These things are what we, he has talked about in the letter that he has written. Remember, Romans is just a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Rome. And so these things is what he wrote in this letter previously and, and in chapter 8 that we have looked at. Things like, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We learn that. We learn that Christ has made us free from the law and death, it says. We learn that to be spiritually minded actually gives us life and peace as we live life. 
We learned that we have been adopted into God's families and that we are now co-heirs with Jesus for everything the Father has for his children. We also learned that we will suffer with Jesus Christ, but then we learned that that suffering really means nothing compared to the glory that's in front of us. We learned all of that. And then last week we learned that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So, so Paul is saying because of all of those things, we can actually say if God is for us, then who can be against us? That word if there, this is a rhetorical question. It's not one, it's one that's meant to be so obvious. The answer is so obvious, it really doesn't need one. So you could actually look at that word if, and in fact it's used both ways in translation, to say since, since God is for us, who can be against us? Here is what we see in the scripture. The triune God is for you. The triune God means, you know, Christians believe that God is one God, but he's three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Somehow, mysteriously, he's one God, but he has these three distinct parts of him that actually do and interact with us in different ways. So I'm telling you that the triune God is for you, but it's very clear that also that God the Father is for you. We just read verse 32, which says, he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that would be the father. So the father said, Man, I am willing to not spare my son, to allow my son to die for you because I care so much about you. That's a God who is for you, God the father. And we know that God the son Jesus is for you because the, that 34th verse says Christ Jesus is the one who died. And it goes on to say more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding means uh, what Darcy was talking about in, in the prayer. Interceding means he's doing it on our behalf. He's praying for us on our behalf. He represents us so obviously, and he died for us so obviously God, the Son, Jesus, is for you. And a few weeks back, we looked at verse 26 in chapter 8, which demonstrated that God, the Holy Spirit, is for you. It, because it says there that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That means he's for us. It doesn't just say that, but it says when we do not know what to pray as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So man is the Holy Spirit ever for you. The triune God is for you. And so Paul says, if God is for us, since God is for us, who in the world can be against us? He wants you to walk out of here today with that thought burning in your mind, God is for me. And you can tell others, God is for you. So Paul points out to us here that God has given part of himself to us. He's highlighted the fact, as we've looked back on this chapter, that there is an abundance of hope for us. He is clarifying here that as we step from here and go into the week, no matter what our position is, that God is for us. So then he says, so tell me this, so tell me this. Who, who can be against you? When, when these things, when stuff comes against you, he's saying, how does God stack up to that? Not how do you stack up to that. How does God stack up to that? Because if God is for you, it's not about how you stack up against your problems. If God is for you, it's about how God stacks up against your problems. So we've got to compare your problems to God's greatness. The same God who, as Bible tells us, spoke the universe 
into existence. Scientists might call that a big bang. I'd say it was a big word. God spoke it into existence, and there it is. He created every star in the sky and every speck of dust that's in the space around those stars. He created the whale and the dinosaur. He created the elephant and the amoeba and the gnat. He even created the mosquito. Why in the world, I do not know, but he did. So he created the entire universe to, be, to operate in this amazing, perfect synchronization. That's the God that's standing against your problems. So what in the world could you be afraid of? Or, or do you have some other fear? Maybe your fear is not that God isn't big enough for the problems. Maybe your fear is, will he? Will God interact on my behalf uh, against my problems? Can, can, will God handle my problems for me? Does he even have the time or the desire if he's done all those big things you've talked about, Cliff, why in the world would he care about little old me on planet Earth when we got a galaxy full of all kinds of planets and stars and everything else? And the answer is because he loves you. And he has demonstrated that again and again. And we just read, we just read that he is for you. God is for you. So if he's for you, what does that mean? Well, here's what the Bible tells us back to our verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying, don't, don't worry about where God's heart's at in all this. Don't worry about that. God is for you, and, and he'll lay everything out for you. He has paid a price, an incredible price, just so he could be in relationship with you. This is a God that has created the universe. He allowed the death of his son so he could have relationship with you. That clearly is a God who is for you. Now, you'd think that the gift of his son for doing that would be enough, but he doesn't stop there. Here's what we've just read in that verse, verse 32. It says, will he, that's God the Father, not also with him, that's God the Son, that's Jesus, so God is saying this, wouldn't God along with Jesus graciously give us all things? The implication right here is that those are all of the good things. So in other words, all good things are a gracious gift from God. All good things, everything good comes from God and scripture confirms that. James wrote this in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Oh, he's saying, God, every good thing you get, whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, every good thing in our earth, every good thing that comes to us, every good thing that happens comes from God Almighty. That's what the Bible is telling us. That is the truth of God's word. And so somebody says, I don't believe in God. Doesn't matter. Every good thing you ever had still comes from him. He's made it clear. All good emanates from him. It comes from him. Every good thing. And by the way, for the believer, he isn't just doling out good things. He's not just doling out good things. God is very well aware of the fact that in this world there is plenty of bad. We just started out our service talking about some of that, didn't we? Praying for some of that. 
So these things that happen around the world where we can see that evil does exist, that these bad things do happen, but God addresses that as well. We saw that last week in, in verse number 28, huh? where it says that, and we know that all things work together for good. For who? For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, so we just determined that all bad things I mean, all good things come from God. All, every, all good things come from God. But all bad things God can, can and will turn to good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So I, I was reading this and, and um, a number of years ago, I was reading Romans 8 again and again and again because I needed it so badly. I, I just said, you know, we talked last week about, I mentioned last week about how God used that in my own life in some very difficult times to, to basically say, do you trust me to actually do this? Do you actually trust me to do this? And can I tell you, he has demonstrated in my life again and again that he is good to that. So much so that now when bad things happen, I can immediately start looking at that and go, wow, wonder how he's going to turn that into good. Wow, that's another bad one. I wonder how he's going to turn that into good. But here's the promise he's made me. He knows I love him. He knows I'm called according to his purpose. I want to be about what he wants me to be about. And so I can stand on that promise. And, and, as, I, and as I was reading that one day, I was reading in the, in the, and it said there it says all things. He'll turn all things. And we know all things turn to good. And then I also now read verse 32, and it says, will he not graciously give us all things? And I stopped, wait a minute, is that the same all things? Is that the, are, are they the same thing? What are we talking about here? And then I said, Lord, on this one part it says that you're going to turn bad into good for me, but this part says that you're giving good. Are, and, it, and it says, and both of them say all things. Is it the same all things? And, and I felt, felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, do they both end up good? Well, yeah, they both do end up good. Ah, and where does all the good come from? Oh, yeah, it comes from you. Yeah. For those who love me and are called according to my purpose, it's all good. It's all good. It's all going to come out good because they're my kids, because I care about them, because I'm going to turn that into that for them. So then I stopped and thought, now, wait a minute. If God is working to turn the bad things into my life, in my life, into good, and he is also, also the author and the provider, the issuer of every good thing, then that, what that means is everything, everything will ultimately have good things come out of them for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Wow. Wow. Did you know he wants you, he actually wants you to remind him of his promises? You know, he's the kind of God that's going, would you remind me of what I've told you I'm going to do for you? I want you to tell me how much you remember that so that when I do it, you don't have any question where it's coming from. Hmm. God is in all things for your good and his glory. Did you hear that? God is in all things, everything for 
your good and his glory. In 2008, I began pastoring a church in Mount Vernon that honestly, I didn't want to pastor. I didn't want to go there, but God made it clear he wanted me there. And it was so clear, he actually said, you, can, you don't have to go, but if you don't, you'll be disobedient. And I said, I think I don't want to do that. I've done enough of that. I'll go. So now I'm in this church, and I got to tell you, it was the, 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 and I spent 12 years there. It was a wonderful 12 years, but I did not, it was not what I expected. And, and I found myself there going, what in the, I don't even know how to deal with these people, a lot of these people. Because see, it was a church that was really, really um, uh, diverse. It was ethnically diverse as it relates to the, to the uh, Skagit Valley, which means, you know, I mean, it's, it's only so ethnically diverse to begin with. But it was incredibly socioeconomically diverse. What that means is this. We had people who had two, three, four, five houses, and we had a bunch of homeless who had no houses. We had people who owned car dealerships, and we had a lot of people who didn't own a car. And, and they would come, and they would worship together, and they'd love the Lord together, and we were watching the homeless and the addicted and the last and the least and the lost begin to come to Jesus. It was an eclectic, weird, dis different, crazy mix, and which is why when we at Arbor said, hey, we want to reach out to the last, the least, and the lost, I said, whoa, <laughs> we got to know what we're getting into here. That's not always pretty. It doesn't always line up. We had the police come more than once. In fact, they used to joke to me that they would come to, if they had to find out who was off parole, they'd drive by our parking lot to see if they could pick them up a minute because there'd be so many different people there. So I'm saying to the Lord, I'm saying, God, why do you have me here? I am not used to dealing with this, this uh, section of society. I've not done a lot of that. Why? But you made it so clear I'm supposed to be here. So I'm just wondering, why me? You know what? God doesn't mind that when we ask him those kinds of questions. He also doesn't always answer them. And he didn't answer me right away on that. But I was just curious. I'm going, to be just, I'm going to be just totally transparent here. I was actually hoping for something kind of good. You know what I mean? I was hoping for a compliment on me. That's what I was, you know, well, because you're this kind of guy or that kind of guy, you know. And, and I said, but, but why me? Why do you have me here? And then, and I got nothing for a couple of weeks. And I, and I, and I well, okay, maybe God doesn't, he didn't need to tell me. It's not. And, and then a few weeks later, I'll never forget it, on a Sunday, between the second and the third services, I was in the back of the church. And the third service was just about ready to get started. I was back there just talking to some folks. And, and a guy walks up to me and says, Pastor Cliff, Pastor Cliff, I want to introduce you to my friend. And he introduces me to his friend, and I shook his friend's hand, and I said, well, I'm glad you're here. And then he, he kind of almost acts like I'm not standing there. He kind of does like this, kind of puts his back into his friend. He goes, see, it's not a big deal. He's been in prison too. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, oh, so he wanted to introduce him to the pastor to make sure that he would understand it was okay to be at church. So I said, well, you, you've been inside? And he said, yeah. I said, what kind of bit did you do? And we talked about it a little bit. And, and I said, well, I'm just really glad you're here. And I do hope that. And he said, I just got out. And I said, well, I do hope that this is a beginning of not getting bitter, but getting better and letting God do in your life what he needs to do. And, and then the music was going, so the third service was starting. So I began to walk to the front of the church. And all of a sudden, I heard this in my mind. That's why. And honestly, I had completely forgotten about asking about it because I hadn't, I hadn't uh, you know, I hadn't heard anything. And so I went, I went, that's why what? And the Holy Spirit said, that's why you're here. And I went, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And then he said this, yes, yeah, because of your title. And I thought, my title? Pastor? And the Holy Spirit said, no, convicted felon. Oh, that wasn't quite what I was expecting. That wasn't what I was expecting at all, you know? And then the Holy Spirit said this. He said, I needed somebody here, Cliff. 
that anybody could come and when they saw what I was willing to do in a life like yours, they would know I could do it in theirs. Wow. I thought about that and thought, is that God turning a bad thing into good? Or is that God just doing a good thing? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. It is the answer to that is yes. It's a God thing. And when it's a God thing, for those who love him and are called according to pur his purpose, it is a good thing. God is in all things for his good and for our good and his glory. If he's in all things, wait a minute. That means he also knows all things. If he's in all things, he's got to know all things. He's got to understand all things. Ooh, wait a minute. That means that, well, I'll just put it this way. If you're like me, you've screwed up enough already to see all the ugly side effects of sin in your life and everything else. And you know that you've screwed up a whole bunch of things. And there are some things you've screwed up that not a lot of other people know. But God does. God does. And he loves you anyway. And he says, yep, even those. Give them to me. Give them to me. And I will turn them into good. Your good and my glory. He does not hold our sins against us. Remember that, that first verse of Romans 8 that says, therefore there is now no condemnation Oh, now you know why I love that verse too so much. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. God does not hold that against us. Paul goes on to say at the end of our verses here today, verse 33 and for the 34, he puts it this way. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Paul's saying, who's going to bring charges against us? He is not implying that no one will try because he knows very well. The devil will try. Satan will try. Other people might try. But what he's saying is none of them have the right to do that. It is only God who justifies and he says, and I've justified this person who's come to me. And, but, but Satan will try that. He'll, he'll, he'll come up with all kinds of different things, and some people will actually act as his emissary without even trying. And some people, even in the church, will act that way, unfortunately, without even trying. And they'll be the ones to drip some negative stuff, or they'll be the ones to say something negative, or the enemy will play these records in your head. Yeah, but God knows you did. But you aren't good enough because of. He could never use you in this situation like you think he might. And we then have the right to have this response. Yes, God does know everything about me. Every, everything that no one else knows. No other person knows. Every thought, everything he does. And he has told me, he has sent his son for me to pay the price for those sins. 
So I'm cleansed and I'm righteous and I'm justified in front of him. He tells me there is now no condemnation for you. So when they try to put that on you, you can say thank you very much for reminding me that God knows all about it. In fact, he knows more than you do about all the things that I've messed up. And he has not and does not condemn me because I'm his kid and I'm not going to let you condemn me either. And I'm not going to let the enemy condemn me either and keep me from doing what God's asked me to do. This is why this is so important, gang. Because if you do not do that with that information, then what you will do is this. You will allow your guilt and your conscience and your conviction about those things that you've done wrong, you'll allow them to keep you away from the loving arms of your father. They'll actually push you away because you'll, you'll, you'll somehow in your head think like Adam and Eve did. They could hide. They can't hide. God knows what they've done. Instead, we should be running to him, the loving arms of the Father, and saying, I know you already know this, but I just want to tell you this so I can get it off of my chest and, and, I, and you and I can be right. And he says, that's right. That's what I want you to do. I want you to come that way. Let the guilt and the conviction let it, let it drive you into the arms of a loving father. In Revelations 12.10, it tells us that we have an enemy who is our accuser, who actually stands before God the Father. Why God lets this guy do this, I do not know, but he does. Satan has the opportunity to stand before God, and he accuses the believers. It says that means the Christians. He's accusing us, you and I. He's in front of God saying right now, look, at, I, know, I know Dino's background. Oh, my gosh, let me tell you some things there. Uh, we, won't, we won't do that. But, let me, but, right? And so he can, there he is saying those kinds of things. And what's happening? Picture this in heaven. And he's coming and accusing because he's the accuser of all people. And when he does, Jesus steps up and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, not that one. No, that's mine. I've already paid the price for that. My blood's already been shed for that. He's all good. He is justified in the Father. He's cleansed. Sometime back, I heard a story about a little boy who got a new slingshot from his grandma. And he was so excited about it. You know, he couldn't wait. It was one of those kind that you put your arm through, so it kind of sets on your wrist. You can get more power on those things, man. And he was excited about it. And his grandma said, now listen, be careful where you use that because that thing is, it could be dangerous, you know. So you got to be careful what you're shooting at. And he said, oh, I will be, Grandma. I will be. And he, and he took that thing. He's sneaking around the backyard like he is. a big, And he's trying to shoot fence posts and stuff. And he's pulling back. And, and he can't hit a fence post to save his life, you know. And so, But he's having fun with it. Oh, man. And then he sees grandma's pet duck walking, waddling across, yeah, the backyard. And he thought, oh, man, I'm going to shoot at that duck. And, and, you know, he hadn't hit a fence post. He hadn't come close to nothing. And he wheeled back in that thing and let her go. And, uh, yeah, you know exactly what happened. He hit that duck square in the head, and that thing dropped dead in the doornail just like that. And he's going, oh, my goodness. Oh, no. And he sneaks over there, and he gets this dead duck, <laughs> takes it in the backyard, and starts to hide it where all the wood's piled up. And so he's piling wood around that duck so that grandma won't find out what he's done. And he just finishes hiding the duck in the wood and he looks over and he sees his sister Sally. She saw the whole thing. 
Well, that very afternoon, they were having uh, lunch with Grandma, and, and uh, after they had lunch, she said, Sally, would you help me with the dishes? And Sally said, oh, Grandma, I am quite sure that Johnny wants to help you. <laughs> he told me that. And she leaned over and said, remember the duck. And Johnny did the dishes. The next two weeks, man, they were ugly for Johnny. Because, man, did she ever play the card on that. Sally was every time. She, Johnny, I think I'd like you to do, I don't I'm not going to remember the duck. And he would wind up doing it. Finally, after a couple of weeks of that, he just thought, I don't know what the punishment is going to be, but it can't be any worse than having Sally do what she's been doing to me. So he goes to Grandma, and he confesses about killing her pet duck. And Grandma says to him, first, it surprised him because she was fairly understanding. She said, I knew you killed the duck. I actually was watching from the window and saw the whole thing. And she said, Johnny, I, I forgave you. As soon as I saw that you did that, I know you didn't intend to. I just wondered how long it would take you to come and tell me the truth or how long you'd continue to be a slave for Sally. Wow. Johnny was pardoned and didn't even know he was pardoned. He continued to act guilty because he listened to the words of his accuser. Remember the duck. Remember what you've done. Remember the sin you thought about in your mind. Remember how you did that and you thought you got away with it. The one who loved Johnny was aware of what he had done. The one who loves you is well aware of everything you've done. The one who loved Johnny wanted, wanted to forgive him, wanted him to know it. The one who loves you wants to forgive you, wants you to know that, wants you to receive that. The one who loved Johnny wanted him to confess wanted him to admit the truth because she knew that if he could admit the truth, the truth would set him free. free. Would set him free. The one who loves you, who's already paid the price for your sins, the only one who can justify you, yeah, wants you to confess the truth so he can set you free. So he can set you free. He knows all of our sins, and he's pardoned us anyway. I love the way John writes about it in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse number 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means he's paid the price for them, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is for you. And he wants you to know that today. 
He wants you to know it so strongly, so securely that you can share that with other people. God's for me and God's for you. It doesn't matter what the odds are against you. God is for you. It doesn't matter how hopeless life looks. God is for you. It doesn't matter if the situation you're in seems bigger than you. God is for you. And it doesn't matter if you feel all alone. God is for you. Wow, Lord, I'm so glad you're for me. Your weeping may endure for a night, but God is for you. You may have failed and fallen down, but God is for you. You might be in trouble right now and wondering how you can get out of it. God is for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you because God is for you. What Paul wants us to understand is that there is no one and no thing that can stand against God, our God. So we've just established without doubt that God is for you. That's the biblical truth. Are you for him? Are you for him? Does your life demonstrate that you are for him just like he has given it all to be for you? If you are, by their fruit, by the things they do, you'll know. You'll know by the things you do if you love God and are called according to his purposes. That's what he wants for you because he is for you. Amen. Lord, thank you that you are for us that you care about us. And today as we think about your word and how that applies to us, we recognize, can't help but recognize some of the ways that we fall short, some of the ways that the things that we need to come and confess to you because of who you are and, and because of what we have not been. So we just do that this morning to say, Lord, show us how we can be more for you and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are for us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would allow each person here this morning, each person listening online, each person who would ever hear this message to sense the power of your Holy Spirit washing over them, letting them understand and know that you are for them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.